0: On uh, our encounters with Jesus, and thank you, ladies, for sharing your encounter. We'll have Keith up here sharing his encounter um, to end the service. And um, you'll find the cards in the back of your your uh, seats. There, I encourage you to continue to fill them out, even if you already filled them out. I'm not tired of reading them. I, I enjoy them. I, don't you enjoy the people who are coming up sharing their their testimony, their encounters? Right. As much fun as that is, it wouldn't happen unless someone came up here and did it. So what I'm saying is, come up here and do it. Hey, we can have two of you do it at the same time. You can hold hands with your buddy. I don't care how you want to do it. Just do it. Um, and fill them out online. They're online. Ashley does a great job of posting them on social media. And if you're not a social media person, uh, they're on their website. Uh, you can read them. They're great. They're um, great. They'll get you emotional if you're an emotional person. Even if you're not, it'll get you in your heart. So please fill them out uh, again and, and just uh, check if we can share it or not. I think on the cards we don't have that there, but right, if we can share them and, and uh, as they add up, we'll share them. But with that, we're going to go to, uh, I always say this is one of my favorite stories, but it is my favorite story this week. So if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, please turn to Luke 7. We'll read the first 10 verses of Luke 7. see this encounter, or encounters, I should say, from Luke 7, starting at verse 1, and it reads, when Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. And at that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death, When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respectable Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home for I'm not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have the authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come, and if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that guides us and leads us and shows us the way and illuminates the scripture for our understanding, Lord. We just thank you so much that we're able to gather here and worship you. Lord, we do pray for the other churches who worship you, we worship your son, Lord. We pray for them and their service that is taking place, that's already taken place, Lord, and we'll Continue to do so. Thank you that we are a small part of your kingdom, Lord. Lord, as we gather around your word, will you speak to us and prepare our hearts? Use me however you see fit. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, I don't. I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Have you ever done something for someone only because they did something for you? Yeah, I'm assuming you have. And it's not because you love them or you like them or you felt prompted by the Lord to tell you to go do something. You simply did it because you felt like you owed them one. You, you probably didn't really want to, but you're like, all right, I'll do it. I owe them. And I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm not, you're finally doing the dishes because, well, you haven't done the dishes in 16 years. I'm not saying that side note just for those who are married um, don't keep score in your marriage I say this often in premarital counseling one for the guys you'll <laughs> just don't do it but really honestly don't don't even even wives don't 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 keep track don't keep a score I say it all often in premarital counseling and Counseling in general, it only causes a wedge between you and your spouse because eventually the way that you keep score will only fall onto the side of what you are owed and not what you owe. That's just our sinful nature. But that's a sermon for another day. But uh, back to the message at hand. um, But really, have you ever done something for someone at a sheer obligation? More specifically... Did you do something for someone because you wanted them to continue to do something for you? You might be thinking, "Yes, Dallas, it's called a job. I work so I get paid. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that whoever it is, your neighbor I remember growing up, there was an older lady that God bless her, she wasn't the easiest neighbor to have. But I cut her grass every other week um, not because I loved her, not because she paid me, not because I was kind, but simply because um, whenever the ball or the hockey puck, yep, they happened to play in the straight two, went in her yard, I knew that if I cut it, I would be able to jump over the fence and get it without her yelling at me. So I continued to cut her grass simply for my own benefit. Um, and you probably can think of things yourself, but... Have you ever done something for someone else so that way they would continue to do something for you or you felt like you owed them? And I really believe that's what we see in the, these first five verses here of Luke 7, which we read. The, the account is also given in Matthew, but we're concentrating on Luke this morning. But in the first five verses, I think that's what we see. It's subtle, perhaps, but it's definitely there. But let me set, set the scene if you will, before we talk about the individual encounters of people, we'll see the encounter, the obvious, with the centurion, the Roman soldier. We'll see the, the, the disciples are there. And we'll also see just, just a hint of the Jewish leaders there. So the scene is this this Roman officer, the centurion, he is the living symbol of the Jewish oppression to the Israelites. He is the living symbol to the Jewish oppression. He represents everything that is wrong for the Israelites. He is in charge of a 100 soldiers, and this one in particular, he was probably in charge of 100 officers who were in charge of 100 soldiers. The very thing that the Jewish people could not wait to get rid of was the Romans, and yet here he is. I don't know how to describe this. I don't think that we necessarily have experience in our lifetime, our personal lifetime here in the United States, someone come and oppress us in such a way from an outside force. You can argue that there's people against us, for sure there is. But someone who's occupying us, has moved in, much like the Nazis had moved in and taken over the world. This is what this Roman officer represented. Everything that the Jewish people were hoping Jesus would eventually become this great king and kick out the Roman Empire. This is what he represents. If you consider even going back to the Nazis, the soldiers with their swastika on their shoulders represented everything that was wrong. It could be the same. said the same for this officer. He too would have had different colors on his shoulders to represent how his high ranking He would have totally been in charge. Yet, this officer was in great need. He looked to Jesus, and he knew he needed him, but he didn't know how to approach necessarily. We'll talk about him. But interesting enough, these Jewish elders essentially come up to Jesus and says to him, look, here's the deal. We know that he is an officer. We know he represents everything that the Messiah, we don't believe you're the Messiah, by the way, is going to get rid of. However, he did build us a church. He's very wealthy, and we really want him to continue to give to the church or to the temple or the synagogue. I still find it interesting, and I know I mentioned it, but these Jewish elders did not even believe in Jesus, but they knew since he asked for them, we got to do this solid thing. It reminds me growing up, and I only know this story afterwards, talking to the pastor who was my pastor as a kid in his retirement years. He said one of the most difficult things was to kick a lady off of the choir who could not sing a lick, but she was married to the treasurer of the church. So you had to do him a solid and let her sing. You he had to go on and talk about, we picked the color of um, the carpet based on her recommendation. And you get the point. You've experienced that enough. Essentially, this is what they're facing. They're facing, okay, we don't believe in this Jesus guy. We are going to go to him, introduce this problem. But just so you know, Jesus, you really have to help him out because... He's worth a lot. Even today in Israel, you can go and see the very synagogue or the remains, I should say, of the synagogue and the new synagogue built on top of it called Jesus' synagogue. This is the one the officer had built. This also reminds me of of Princeton University. Princeton University was founded in 1746 on Christian principles. It was started by a pastor, a minister. And about 150 years later, when the one president was getting ready to retire, he pointed and said uh, that his son should be the next president. This was John Witherspoon. The problem was, John Witherspoon's son was not a Christian. But yet, because they felt obligated, they allowed him to be the next president. And then slowly you can watch the decay of Princeton University being a Christian school, college, to not being believers. So the problem is, is they come here and say, Jesus, come and help because of all he has done. Look at all that he's done, Jesus. Some commentaries argue that they're saying, no, he's really a good guy, Jesus. You don't have to worry about him. No, he's part of the bad guy crew, but he's really good. But the more that you look at this, the more that I've read through this, they really felt like Jesus come because he's done so much. So the question is, going back to me making fun of our marriages because we keep score. Do you keep score? This is what they're doing. Hey, look at these are all the things. This is how much money he's pledged to give. And again, going back to your marriage, if your marriage is modeled after Jesus and his church from Ephesians 5, we don't earn anything. We don't earn it. But this is the hiccup. This is, and I, and I know every time I've been talking about the encounters, I keep bringing up we don't earn grace, we don't earn salvation. But I think, at least I do, deep down inside every once in a while, I pray to God, and, and I don't say these words, but I think them, God, you owe me because I'm a pastor. Look at all that I do for you. God, you, it, or on the opposite end, God, I promise I will go to church faithfully for eight weeks in a row, if only you. And then on week six, you you say, oh, I have something, but we'll do another eight, God, or whatever it is. God, I promise I'll start opening my Bible app and reading the verse of the day, at least 20 days in a row. Like, it's all work-based. God, if I do this, then you do this. You owe me. And, And the way that we look at God is also the way that we start to look at other people. So essentially, they're showing up and they're saying, Please, Jesus, you gotta do this for him. So let's just read the first five verses here again. It says, When Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. That's in verse six, he was or chapter six, he was doing all these miracles, he was doing all these teaching. He comes to Capernaum, and at this time a highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respectable Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. The officer doesn't even show up. In Luke's account, he never even approaches Jesus. He does not even feel worthy. Matthew's account suggests that he shows up, but it doesn't matter. The point is, this officer says, I need his help. Jesus' fame of healing people is rapid and going all around. So now he verse 4, so they earn earnestly beg Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, if anyone deserves your help, Jesus, it's this guy. Look at what he's done, for he loves the Jewish people and he even built a synagogue for us. So come, Jesus, you have to come. Yet Jesus is gracious. Jesus is gracious even though they come to him with the wrong perspective. Essentially, what they should sort have of said is, this man is in need of you, will you come? Not to qualify why Jesus should come, but yet Jesus is gracious. Let's continue to read what happens in verse 6, 7. <clears throat> so Jesus went with them, but just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, "'Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor.'" Stop right there. Wait a minute. These Jewish leaders said that he was more than worthy. So what's the contract? What's going on? Why would someone say, I am not worthy? Is this a false sense of humi- humility? Oh, don't tell me I'm great, but keep it coming. Great job, but keep it coming. No, no, no. Just this, this fault. No, that's not, that's not what he's saying. He said, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not, verse 7, I am not even worthy to come and meet you. We're not worthy to come and meet Jesus, yet he came to us to save us. It's interesting, this man is not Jewish, yet he is sympathetic to the Jewish people or he wouldn't have built them in the church. Yet here, he is the most Christ-like follower in the whole scene, outside of Jesus, even more than his disciples But continue on in verse 7. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. So, what what is he doing? What is this officer actually doing? Does he not want Jesus to come? Of course not, he wants Jesus to come. Uh, it reminds me in the gospel of, of Mark. It says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And he says, I wish I could believe, but I want to believe, but I'm full of doubts, but I want to believe. Have you ever been there? I believe you, Jesus, but I don't know how you're going to do it, but I believe you, but I don't know how you're going to do it, but I believe you. Anyone else have this back and forth? You may not admit it out loud because you've been a follower of Christ for a while and you don't want to admit that there's doubt. And then you tell yourself, it's not that I don't doubt Jesus, but I just don't know how he's going to do it. Essentially what he's saying, I don't have enough strength or faith, but you do. The strength of my faith, but the object of my faith is on something else. It's not the perfection of your faith, but the direction of your faith. Don't you see that having you experience that your faith is much different than it was when you first began following Christ? And if you're here this morning and you don't have faith in Jesus, you're just on the cutting edge of stepping over. But you see your faith grow through the ups and downs and twists and turns and If I asked you right now, each and every one of you, if 10 years ago, would you say this is this place in your life you would be? I don't know who would say yes. I know I I joke and I kid, but you asked me four and a half years ago if I would ever be in Modesto, I couldn't even tell you there was a Modesto. (laughs) But yet here I am. But yet here... We're seeing it's, it's not the perfection of our faith, it's our direction. It's We continue to go towards Christ. It's when we give up and throw up our hands is when we're in trouble. It's redirecting our faith from the things, other things, towards Jesus. And because faith is not an emotion. That's why it's not an emotional response. Yes, there are emotions. Yes, we feel strong feelings, but yet faith moves beyond our emotions. It's whenever we lay down in bed and we start to pray and we realize he, Jesus, is worthy. He did all of these great things. So when this centurion comes and he asks, this officer says, I am not worthy, but here's the problem, and he's going back and forth, he's essentially saying, I am not worthy. Don't do what I ask, Lord, based on my own merit. I am not worthy, I am nothing, I don't deserve it, but would you please do what I ask? Unless our shifting of our thinking and our understanding of Christ, unless we turn that understanding that we are able to come to Christ not because of our own goodness, but because of his goodness, then we'll get lost. See, again, picking on the encounter, if you will, of these Jewish leaders is, again, Jesus, you have to come because he is such a good guy. He's done so much. Like, if you're gonna help anybody, I mean, you help the lady at the well, and she's gross. (laughs) At least help this guy. He built us a church, like he's good. He's a good guy, good, good, good. Like, you don't understand Jesus. But yet, when this soldier, this officer, comes, he's saying, "I, I am not worthy. But I want you to come based not on my merit, but on your merit. But I'm asking, what I'm asking for is is for you to bring the power into my life based on something other than my performance, which is insufficient. I've seen me in action, I know how well I do not do, even when I do my best. When I worked for Kia, one of my very first jobs was to answer phone calls of technicians who were working on brand new cars and couldn't figure them out because, well, they were broken. And, and one of the, the most frustrating things for me to do was to, and I wasn't very good at it, was to let them yell at me just enough to understand what the problem was but yet tell them how to fix it without making them feel like a dum-dum. It was such a challenge. It was, they were so upset because they spent hours and hours fixing this brand new car that should have never been broken in the first place with a tool that they didn't have and me waiting for my opportunity to sneak in and say, I can send you the tool, it'll be okay, don't worry. And I remember over and over again this, this, this crashing of just I was trying to get a word edge wise and they're like do you know my experience I've been working on cars longer than your grandfather's been alive it's like I don't know how that works but I believe you and 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 going back and forth and and finally my my mentor there the trainer he said sometimes what you have to say is this everything you've tried up to this point hasn't worked perhaps there's another way and it's the same thing with our lives for those of us who try to fight for and struggle with our Christianity that I'm gonna be a better Christian and I'm gonna be a better dad I'm gonna be a better father I'm gonna do this in my own strength I promise I'd never do that and here I am doing it again five minutes later started a diet and then peanut butter cups are there on sale and I mean the Christmas trees are so good like, but but then you come to realize it's it's not in your own strength. Everything that you've ever done well has come from Christ, hasn't it? Haven't you seen it? I mean, that's why you're praying and you're begging God. So this is what's this is what's hitting, and it's what my mentor would don would say. What you've tried so far hasn't worked. There's another way. So this Roman officer, this centurion, he knows. That he is not good enough. But yet, he is coming on behalf of his slave or his servant. He's not even coming for himself. Isn't that ironic? Isn't that interesting? That he's not saying, Lord, I'm not worthy to come to you. Will you heal me? He's saying, I'm not even worthy for to come to you to ask you to heal this other person. Don't you ever feel that way in your prayers when you're praying for somebody else? Lord, I know the prayers of the righteous, but... Phew, I am not righteous, but I am righteous in you. I mean, you should hear my prayer that I pray when I walk up here. You think I repeat my prayer up here all the time. You should hear the prayer that I always say, and I won't say it because it's for me and the Lord, so you don't get a know. But it goes something along the lines of, I am not worthy, but you are worthy. I hope this works out well. I mean, that's it in the nutshell. And Kristen was so kind to say that I was... That wasn't even me. I didn't even say that. That was Gordon Rumble. I stole that from Gordon Rumble, if you know who Gordon Rumble is. But you know what I mean? But it's not beating yourself up, because a lot of times we have this person... There's different personalities, but one is like, I am good enough. And the other one's, I'm not good enough. It's the whole inside out, the joy and the sadness. Always sad, always... But somewhere in between... It's to recognize that you are not good enough, but yet Christ is good enough, and rest in that. So it doesn't, it doesn't resolve you from any responsibility. Don't just lay there hoping God will throw some grapes in your mouth. But yet don't climb up the mountain without him. But to recognize that it is Christ in you. So even when we come and we pray... And we don't feel like we're worthy to pray for somebody else. We're not, but Christ is. So this is what this contrast that we're seeing with this encounter. So, verse 8 goes on. I know this. What does he know? Or let me back up in verse 7, sorry. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers. And I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. He says, you don't even need to show up, Jesus. See, this officer recognizes the power structure. And do you notice, he doesn't start off in verse 8 by saying, it's because I have all of this power. He starts off saying, because I am under authority. That's so profound. I am under authority, which gives me power. It's just like we are under the authority of Christ, which gives us power. There's a... uh, When when he's talking about, um, you only need to be there. I have the authority over my soldiers. I only need to say to go and go. They come or come and they come and I say to my slaves, do this and do that. What he's saying, what he's explaining is, the authority that this soldier has actually comes from the Roman Empire. And this Roman Empire, emperor would give the seals, if you sign an official document, they put some wax on it and use the signet ring or the seal to stamp it, and it's as if the boss was in town. Whenever, whenever I was younger and I was first watching my brother and my two stepsisters, I think I was 13, I had my mom write a little paper saying, Dallas is the boss, and I let him know what's up. Anytime I said, this is what we're going to do, here's the official thing. And look, mom signed it, M-O-M. I was the boss. See, the presence of the authority was in the seal, not in the person but let's just consider this a little bit more. He's, what he recognizes, he said, look, Jesus, you have the authority over everything. You don't need to show up. You don't need to bibbity bobbity boo You could just say the word. You don't even have to say it because you have the authority over the entire world. It's almost as if he's saying, you have the seal to lock it in. I just need your word and you can do it. See, at this time, this, Jesus has not healed someone from afar yet. So far, all of the, the miraculous healings that's taken place thus far has been Jesus' latest hands. He has spoken in the presence of someone. But this is one of three. He, he heals the other people. He heals the, the lady, the Canaanite woman's uh, daughter who is demon oppressed, Matthew 15 and Mark 7. Uh, the official son in Capernaum, he comes and he says, Just say the word. And then that uh, officer just goes about his business, eventually gets back home a month later. And is like, Yep, you're healed. But this is the first time. See, what, what, what the picture is, is the disciples would have been sitting here thinking, this guy, he doesn't even know. Jesus doesn't just say the word. He shows up. Don't you know how we do things? Ha, Roman soldiers. But yet, this, this Roman soldier knows Jesus has the authority because the presence was in the seal, not the presence. Let's just take this seal, just this picture this a little bit more. Uh, it'll be on the screen, Matthew 27, verse 62 and 66. This is after Jesus died on the cross and is buried. Um, I'll, uh, Matthew 27, 62, 66. It says, the next day, the, the one after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember... That while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he is raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. In verse 65 and 66, this is the NIV version. Take a guard, Pilate answers. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and they made the tomb shakir by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So how do you shakir a... I know I'm saying shakir funny, but whatever. (laughs) I hear what I say. (laughs) I just can't fix it with my mouth. I tried so hard, it didn't work. Whatever. So how do you make a rock... More stable. <laughs> I have a picture of it here. This, is, this, is, this would have been the original seal to put it on. And then the next picture here, this is what, I know it's a little cartoonish, but do you see the ropes that are wrapped around? And that's not wax, that would have been clay. So why would you need to do that? Why would you need to secure a rock that's heavy? It's like putting the caution tape or the police tape across the door, so that way when someone entered, they would have to break it. And that alone there is not the Roman emperor. It's not Pilate standing there, but that represents Pilate. So when the stone rolls away, obviously the tethers would have broke and the and the clay or, or the wax, whatever, with that signet ring imprint in there would have broken. And that would have been basically a direct insult to the emperor himself or to Pilate himself. So, so this centurion, he understands and, and sees that Jesus doesn't need to be there. It's just like this. Just put your little stamp on there because you are so incredibly in charge, Jesus. I, I understand how this works. And I get it. And, and again, he, that's whenever he says in verse 8, he says, I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers. That's actually where I get my power from. You get your power from God the Father. And I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And I say to my slaves, do this, and they do it. And essentially what he's saying, if I could paraphrase it, Jesus, you are totally in charge of ailment sickness and everything, all you have to do is say, go away. Because you know what a miracle is? A miracle is a sign that points that Jesus is the Messiah to lead to people coming to know him as Savior. But also, if you notice, that every miracle that is performed is actually Jesus simply returning it to its perfect form before the fall. There would be no need for a physical healing if there was no sin. Just like whenever we read about the blind man He either had no eyes or deteriorated eyes. In a perfect form, he would have had eyes. So essentially, when Jesus is performing a miracle, he's putting it back to the way that God the Father intended, full of that authority coming down. So he just says the word. Verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Matthew's rendering of it says, and when the officer and his friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. You know what's interesting? Jesus never said anything. Go and your servant will be healed. Bless you, your faith has saved you. He didn't say anything. It just happened. Now, I really want to know how that works, but I won't. Ever figure it out? I don't know, but he healed him. But whenever, in verse nine, it says, "When Jesus heard this, he was amazed." He was amazed, and when you consider that that word "amazed," this is Jesus is only amazed twice, at least recorded in the Gospels. The other time that he's amazed is found in. Mark 6, and I'll read it to you. Mark 6, 5 and 6. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles, he being Jesus, among them except to place hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. The two times that Jesus is amazed all revolved around belief. And amazed does not mean he was surprised. It took him off guard. It simply means he saw the wonder in their belief or unbelief. And that's why going back to Luke in that account, he says, he turns to his disciples and to the people and say in verse nine, and when Jesus heard this, he was amazed, Turning to the crowd that was following him. He said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. He's not even Jewish. And when the officer's friends returned to the house, they found the slave completely healed. So as we consider what this means to us, uh, really the centurion, this, this respectable officer, realized and recognized that Jesus wasn't doing something for him because of all the good things he's done. He was doing it out of the goodness of who Jesus is. And I, and I just wonder, just at least for me, it's so easy for me to fall back into business as usual as a Christian. I always find that I am never that far from falling, falling back to comfort. Eh, it's fine. Back to safety, what I know. And what I know is usually how hard I work, how hard I try, my performance. But business as usual as, as a Christian is scary because it's not our business. It's Christ's business. And if we are really never that far from falling back to comfort and just going with the flow, I wonder what it would be like if if as we grow in our walk with Christ, we became more dependent on Him on everything, even our ability to understand Him. So as we consider this encounter, we see just quickly these three encounters, we see the, the elders, the Jewish elders coming and saying, You got to do him a solid, because you know, we need more from him. He's a good dude. Then we see uh, the the crowd that was following him saying, and Jesus telling him, I haven't even seen faith like this. And imagine if you were a disciple sitting there and thinking, but Jesus, we've spent like two and a half, three-ish years with you. What do you mean this guy has more faith? And Jesus can only point to the centurion and say, well, look, he, he understands how authority works. He understands his authority comes from his superiors, and my authority comes from God the Father. So I just wonder if I can, me personally, perhaps you can stop falling into business as usual and I'll just work harder and do better and and I'll get it next time. But ask God to do it better next time for you, to carry you for you. So as we continue on in these encounters, I would like to invite Keith Veltkamp up to share his encounter. And we'll clap because he's a brave guy to come up.
1: Thank you. Um, as Dallas asked me earlier in the week to share my encounter, I was reflecting on it a little bit and I had a little bit of self-doubt creep in, thinking, you know, my situation kind of points out that um, I was feeling sorry for myself and uh, was frustrated and maybe exhibited a lack of faith and uh, was kind of a crybaby even. But um, I think that's um, something that sometimes when we go through hard things, we, we experience. And um, my encounter with Jesus points out that he meets us there anyway. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and share. Secondly, um, it is a fishing story, and I promise it will be 100 percent accurate. So um, So uh, I enjoy fishing uh, mountain streams for trout, and it's been about six weeks ago now, but I went uh, by myself early one morning over the uh, Sierra Nevadas to the eastern slope to fish a secret stream that I know of. And um, I uh, got there right at daybreak and put my gear on. I put my waders on and got my rod and everything ready. And then I mapped out a section of stream that I was going to fish, and I hiked down to it. And um, I didn't really have any great expectations. I was just happy to be out there um, doing it. It is nice to get a break. And uh, almost immediately I caught a nice little rainbow trout and was pretty happy with it, but um, didn't really think like it was any indication of how my day was going to go, like the fishing was going to be great, everything like that. I didn't think a whole lot of it. And then um, I walked a little bit further upstream and found an, a nice little spot where there should hold trout. So I started fishing it, and when you fly fish, you you work the back of the seam, because fish are facing forward, so you wanna catch the fish that are in the back first and then um, keep throwing further and further into the the area where they're holding. And I I wasn't getting any results and I was about ready to give up, and um, I threw one last time right at the very beginning of the seam and uh, a monster trout just came up and hammered my fly, took it down and I set the hook and um, the fight was on. And um, I found myself thinking that I probably wasn't going to land the fish, Um, that somehow it was going to break off, and it was just going to be kind of par for the course for how things have gone for me for uh, several years. Um, I've had, in the last three years, some just really difficult situations to deal with, Um, some things that... I really feel like um, came into my life that were not brought on by decisions I made and really ran me through the grinder. And um, just like when one, I get beyond it, there'd be another one coming. And I felt like I wasn't getting a break. And I just felt like, you know, the Lord wasn't going to let me land this fish. It was just going to be one more thing um, that was going to be hard. And I didn't deserve it. And so it was just going to break off. So I kind of had a crummy attitude about it. But um, as I was fighting the fish, he he went down to the bottom, was banging his head against the rocks to try to knock the hook out of his mouth. And I got a look at him, and it was probably the biggest fish I've ever caught on my fly rod. And um, again, I didn't really think I deserved it. So um, I, I stayed with it, though, just as I'd done in all of the difficult situations in my life. I just sought to serve the Lord and persevere and, and stick with the situation and, and hope that he would work it out. And so I did the same thing with the fish. And um, I'm shaking a little bit, sorry. Uh, so anyway, I, I was able to net the fish after fighting it for about three hours. Um, no, just kidding. It was about... <laughs> <laughs> It was probably like 10 minutes, but, you know, the world stops turning when you're, when you're fighting a big fish. Um, but it was a considerable amount of time. And as I netted it, um, he, he had even taken me down into some roots and got the line tangled up. And I had to go in the water and untangle the, the line. And I thought for sure he broke me off. But there he was. He was in my net. And um, almost immediately, you know, the Lord was like, see, I can, I can bless you any way I want to. And, um, so I, it just gave me sort of a new perspective at that moment that, um, he was who he says he is and I was able to thank him and suddenly see my experience that day is just a blessing for me uh, to be out in nature and to land a beautiful fish. And, um, he just put on my heart that he loved me the same all along, all through all of the experiences Of the difficulties I had gone through. And um, he can choose how and when he wants to bless me. And he also showed me that um, he never allows us to have more than we can handle. And so, um, you know, that was something that was really relatable to me. And it was a genuinely encounter with Jesus. Because he spoke to me right where I was. In spite of maybe my lack of faith or frustration or, um, you know, fears, and he was kind and gentle to me. And um, I'm a visual person, so as I was reflecting on this, I was like, how can I more convey, you know, what I felt at that moment? And the best way I can describe it is, um, it was like he allowed me to pass in front of a mirror briefly and see myself as he sees me. And I saw myself with a crown on my head and purple robes on my shoulder, and it was just important for me to remember that um, I'm a child of the king. Thanks,
0: Keith. I'm going to pray. Let's pray. God, thank you for Keith. Thank you for uh, him and everyone else who shares their encounters. Thank you that you love us so much, Uh, even in our hobby, even um, when we're at our lowest point. It's because of you. So we thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Keith. So just as we close, just just consider the some of the thoughts that I wrote down what potentially was going on through this officer, the centurion's head, as he was trying to work out his worth. I think he recognized that he wasn't worthy, but Jesus is worthy that Jesus did all of these great things and that his worth was not in his performance or what he did for the Jewish people, but because of Christ. And when he was thinking, I don't deserve to even come and ask on behalf of somebody else, I'm shifting my thinking, his focus, his understanding, on his worth based on who Christ is. He's coming to Christ and asking for the power to come into him based on something other than his performance, other than his morality, because all of that is insufficient. I think ultimately he's recognizing that who he needs to come to is Christ. So he did. So I invite you to consider that. We have a few more songs we're going to praise the Lord with. But just consider... Have you been fighting and trying to work it out on your own strength? Have you been looking at yourself based on your performance? Or have you been looking to him to recognize, no, you're not good enough, but he is. And what Christ has done on the cross, he has paid our penalty for our sin. So when God the Father sees us, he doesn't see us and our blemishes, but Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for who you are. Um, Thank you that you came into this world not just to be our Savior, but yet to live a life that we can follow. And Lord, um, forgive us um, as we try to uh, work out uh, based on our performance. Lord, we do know that uh, faith without works is dead, as James reminds us, but salvation comes through you. So Lord, forgive us when we try to See ourselves in our performance. Also, forgive us whenever we try to come to you as if we um, have something over you that you owe us or that we need to perform in such a way for you to be God. Uh, We're thankful that you are God based on you, not us. So, Lord, as we continue to worship you, where you speak to us and you deserve so much more than our praises, but yet you take our praises and you bring glory to your name. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.